All right, guys, welcome back to the Hardwick Life Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Hardwick, and as always, I'm excited as heck to talk to this guest. It's the fortunate part about doing a podcast is that you get really amazing guests that you hunt down and hook up with, and all of a sudden, you get great information and great conversation, so this is going to be a really good one with a guy that I can't wait to pick his brain. I am reading his book currently. I'm in his course currently. It's Power Athlete Methodology Level 1. And if you guys follow me at all, you know that I'm a big fan of Power Athlete and what they do over there. John Wellborn, uh, former 10-year NFL veteran, offensive tackle, wealth and knowledge in the strength and conditioning world and football world. And his co-host, Chris Tex McQuilkin, and I have a sneaking suspicion that Tex was a big part of uh, authoring this book and this course. And he is the co-host of Power Athlete Radio. He's the director of training and education for Power Athlete. So that's why I have the sneaking suspicion that his handprints, his fingerprints are all over this. Tex is a certified health education specialist and a certified strength and conditioning coach with over 15 years in the fitness industry applying and educating movement all over the world. Tex coached collegiately with Georgetown University, Marymount University, uh, men's lacrosse team, as well as interned with the University of Texas at Austin's football program. He also coached and implemented programs for tactical athletes, including Naval Special Warfare and U.S. Army 18th, 18th Airborne Corps. We'll get that out there. Apprenticed under John Wellborn and Rafael Ruiz, studying proper implementation of science-based, performance-driven training systems. He was a collegiate lacrosse defensive midfielder, a four-year letter winner, and a three-year team captain. Don't take that lightly. At Marymount University in Virginia, and that's why on Power Athlete Radio, they call him the D3 All-Star. So can't wait to get into a myriad of conversation with a myriad of topics in a conversation with Chris McQuilkin. Stay tuned. Here we go. Chris Tex McQuilkin. Here we are. For, hey, give it, give this to me. How, how'd you get the name Tex? Are you from Texas? Houston. So West Houston, there's a small town or was a small town West of Houston called Katy. And that's, that's where I'm from, but they ended up playing lacrosse on the East coast at Marymount university. And uh, my first day there, just another freshman dude, I show up and he's like, where are you from? Same question. And I say, Houston. And he's like, oh, man, they, they, they call you Tex down there? <laughs> and I was like, no, that's... Everybody's from Texas. That's the stupidest thing. Like, then everybody be Tex. <laughs> and my buddy's like, okay, Tex. And saw that it dug into my skin a little bit. And, of course, being a good teammate and, you know, brand new best friend, he didn't let it die. So then... It spread to the team naturally. The head coach took it on. And then every job I've ever had ever since has been through somebody that knows me as Tex. And it created this, this, you know, opportunity, this persona. Like there's so many damn Chris's in the world, but how many Texas do you know? And there was a, a, a coaching point. I'm sure we'll get into it where I was coaching collegiately at, at Georgetown University and then working with John traveling the world, essentially power athlete was contracted by CrossFit to teach a sports performance seminar and NSCA, which I had my certification has still have my certifications through and, and teach at their conferences. They were at, you know, 
a conflict with CrossFit. And so during the week, I would be, you know, coach Chris McQuilkin and the coaches around me at Georgetown, like they, they hated CrossFit for no other reason than I, for no reason, really, they'd still did GPP training with the athletes. Right. And you know, that's, it's essentially what CrossFit is. And then I would travel the world and be like, okay, guys, Hey, I got to go to uh, Buenos Aires this weekend or Germany. And we're going to hang out for Oktoberfest and go teach a seminar. And I would go to these clinics all over the world and just be techs. Cause that's how John was introduced to me, uh, way back when. So it was a cool, just, uh, Hey, I'll be this coach here. And then, you know, you got to put on a little personality and panache because you only got two days with somebody during a seminar to make an impact. That's right. Gotta hit, hit the ground running. And John's, John's heavy in a room too, right? I mean, he's 10 year vet, but he's a big, he's a big personality. He's a big body, you know, he's, so it does help to have a little bit of a persona standing next to a guy like John. Oh, and he's a classically trained rhetorian or rhetorician. I don't really know. So I got a, a uh, trial by fire understanding of ethos, pathos, and logos. And John is ethos. He did the job for 10 years. He is a big, strong, powerful dude. And that just walking into the room, ethos essentially for a crash course for the listeners. There you go. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, that is, that is your, it's your resume. It's your pedigree. It's, it's who you are. It's your name. And for a guy like John, he can walk into the room and have it because he's a big ass dude. Right. But also, he did. He wears it. Yes. Yes. And he's speaking on being strong and powerful and being fast. And he is strong and powerful and fast. And so that ethos for me is a five, seven, 200 pound freaking meatball division three athlete where I'm looking up to the people I'm teaching rather than, you know, eye to eye or looking down to like John, I have to create, I had to create this ethos so that they can listen to my words and then take it and apply it. So we had ethos. And then I really mentioned pa pathos. Pathos would be my, my enthusiasm, my passion for the, the subject in which we're teaching, which I, I, I have it. I live and breathe it. I've been with power athlete for 10 years and lifting weights, running fast, it afforded me the opportunity to play college lacrosse is, you know, from Texas, those two things are, but yeah, we got to get into that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll wrap this up, but pathos, essentially this, this passion and enthusiasm, uh, that allows once I have a connection with somebody with my ethos, they'll be like, okay, I'll listen to you. And then I can, I can sell it with my, my passion for this project. Then it's, it's, it's logos. So that'd be the logic, the specific materials, the information. So, okay, you got a passion for this thing. Now, what are you teaching? How can that relate to me? And how can I apply the information? And uh, I had to learn all these things because I, I was logos. I was steeped in the literature that is strength and conditioning. And, you know, John's uh, critique of me was, I was very dry. It's like going to a science class. I needed to be more birthday party and that takes reps. I had the passion for this stuff, but then how do I translate that passion and really in, uh, 
breathes some life into into the crowd and the material because it can get pretty boring. Sure. But then over time, well, for some, yeah, for for some, right? Like for others, it's that's what they're like. Could you please get a little bit more sciency? You know, and that's and that's okay. And there's a population yeah. that's out there. It's not everyone. So I was uh, able to appeal to the logic early, and then it takes reps to develop this passion for uh, uh, for displaying this passion, enthusiasm in your teaching. And the coaching was there, certainly the passion, but how could I uh, show my enthusiasm as a teacher? And then the ethos over time, that's, that's all I could ask. So I, you know, lower level athlete, but then now as, as a, a high level coach, I had to develop that ethos over time, but through the opportunities that power athlete afforded me. Um, but yeah, we can go all the way back to you. That's super. Well, I think it's just super interesting that you guys came from it the opposite direction, right? John's ethos, pathos, logos, and you're the opposite direction, which, and you get to, you get to the same place from a different path and different personalities. And then I think what's great about you guys is you balance each other out, you know? So there, if it were all ethos, then it would just be a meat stick room. And if it were all logos, then it would just be too nerdy. And so you guys, I think, do a really nice job of blending the two together. And it is like power athletes, like one as a business, it's an awesome brand, but you also know who you are. You're raw, but you're also sciencey. So to combine those two for me is a really important thing because it's, it's raw, it's meat and potatoes, but it's also very sciencey, which I think is very important. Yeah. And we are power athlete is performance for the people. We're a performance-based company. We're in the business of building hammers. And from an athlete's perspective, that is, that is your expression of your movement through space, your athleticism, stepping onto the field and being a bad motherfucker. And then from a coach's perspective, that's making an impact, being a hammer in your community. And you know, that, the, the visual, the representation, the mottos, the logos, the essentially the ethos of the brand, that, that's, that's another leg of the tripod. That's a gentleman, Harry Heppenstall out in the UK, who's a badass all himself. He may not look the part, but he's got this, this mind for muscle that certainly we do lean on and, and he's the man out there in the UK. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll get into we'll, I want to get into the branding a little bit later because it is it's unafraid, you know. It's like in it, <laughs> be the hammer, eat the weak, you know, those kind of sayings like, you know, they're we're kind of losing those. Like this is a time where we're losing those. So we'll let's get into that later, but give me like obviously an athlete in Houston, Texas, Katy, Texas playing lacrosse like What's the state of lacrosse? I, I know lacrosse is just exploding everywhere. My kids play lacrosse. I think it's one of the greatest sports that I've seen from an athletic development standpoint, from a fun standpoint, from a I'm not coaching it, so it's awesome standpoint because I don't know enough. So all, all I tell my kids is to run, like run hard, play hard. That's all I can do. And that's probably the my sweet spot of parenting, honestly, instead of just being coached. But when you were growing up, I can't imagine in Texas lacrosse was massive. So how did you even get to D3? I, I mean, 
how did they find you? How did how did you find the sport? And was it, how many people were playing? It, excellent question. So it's this is the twentieth anniversary this summer here of my playing career, and essentially how it started was Katie. When I was growing up, we had two football teams. We had Katie and Katie Taylor, and Katie is a state powerhouse. They win the state championship every year. The, this has been a football's way of life. If you've seen Friday Night Lights, the movie, it's a great representation of that. There's just this other small rival, and I'm using air quotes, school as a part of it where, yes, the town is shutting down, but we're also getting our dicks kicked in 60 to nothing. <laughs> so, but there is the. It's a one way rivalry. Yes, big time. And there is a passion for the sport still. And unfortunately politics within the high school football world is it is real and it's still existent i'm coaching now at the high school level for lacrosse and the the pull of the football it's still there and i i'm sorry to see it that way um but essentially my my coaching staff they my junior year they made the decision because we always lose to katie they take our sophomore class, move them up to varsity as sophomores and give them one, two, three years to compete, to take on and have potential within three years. So they're selling this, this allure of potential and possibility to maintain their job for the next three years. They neglected the senior class. They neglected my, my boys, my junior team. And we, we didn't like it. Like, Props. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they were great dudes and we're, we're still pals. One of them made it the NFL. So, so good on him. Maybe the coaches did make a good call, but the, the essence and how it was delivered was, was deflating. And my, my friends, like we, we were, we thought we were winners. We, we were leaders and we worked hard and someone got the great idea to start a lacrosse team and why not? Let's go do it. And we go. Cool walked to a summer league within Houston and we just walked around and said, Hey, we're going to play. And people were teaching us. It's a great community, the sport. So they were teaching us to play. And eventually we found one man that was willing to volunteer as our head coach. So there was, there was 10 of us out there takes 10 to play. And five of the 10 of us went on to go play some college ball, but it was our, our, pushback against the coaching staff where we took our performance into our own hands. They told us we were not good. And we decided, nah, we, we are good. We are leaders and we're going to create our own opportunity. And there was 10 teams in Houston at the time. So we went into the fold. We were football players with sticks. I have so many stories of just idiot things that we did that we didn't know were against the rules, like lead blocking can't do that. It's like setting, <laughs> no, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, you can set a pick and get in the way, but you can't look ahead and be like, I got that guy and just go freaking yeah. pound him. So stuff like that happened. Like we made mistakes, but we were able to um, just create a, a fun, memorable team that was taken from us from football. Unfortunately, the, the, the thing was, that we became better football players because of lacrosse. Instead of forcing our way into a bigger, stronger person, we learned to evade and be more athletic. Yeah. So it made us more valuable football players, but still was seen as a threat. And the unfortunate reality is our little brothers that took up lacrosse, 
that eventually got to the varsity level, they were handed ultimatums of, if you play that, you will not start at running back. You will not start wow. at guard. So there was a dip within the, uh, the program once we went on to college, but now it's still, it's still there 20 years later. Oh, that's so cool. Lasting legacy, which is a real testament to your leadership too, right? I mean, you guys, you, you did. I mean, you saw yourself as leaders and obviously you were leaders and you went and you created something that mattered and has lasted. Yeah. It's, I'm curious to how many kids just went on to play college from it. Um, I don't know, which I'm hoping to get them on the schedule for our team here and kick their asses. But um. <laughs> I, I just, for me, lacrosse is the perfect one. If it's a primary sport, perfect. It's a great sport. I think it's incredibly fun, and I watch the joy that people play it with, and it's no doubt that – so back to this pathos, right, the passion. Like one guy had a passion for it, and he coached you guys. I see that all the time. I see that with my boys' teams. It's one guy who runs a lacrosse shop here in Indiana. It's the only one in Indianapolis, but he's the best coach. He's super passionate. And he just gives that to everybody. Even the parents are like, this is the greatest sport ever because this one guy has sold us that this is the most amazing sport. And then as a strength and conditioning guy, as an athletic performance guy, like I watch the sport and I just think if we could get all kids to do this or soccer as a complimentary sport, you really don't need any speed and agility training. You know, we don't really need like lift weights and then go play that sport because the movement patterns, you can't possibly program these things. You know, it's like the fluidity with which they happen, the hand-eye coordination while you're making a dude juke or miss or catch a ball and spin and cut. Like all of these things are so amazing in lacrosse. And I think the one of the most beautiful things of it is there's limited, although, you know, you're mostly dominant right hand or lefty or whatever, but there's very limited overuse injuries because the movement patterns aren't the exact same and programmed the way that they are in a lot of other sports. Yeah. The, I mean, the expectation with pitching and volleyball, it's this one perfect movement pattern. Yes. It may be particular to you as an individual for pitchers, but it's the same repetitive in lacrosse. There's infinite arm angles that you want to hit because you're playing a game against the goalie. So we're trying to trick them and I can bounce it. I could, I could do a million different things. It's an infinite possibilities and it's the ultimate um, creativity, similar to basketball where we have set plays to run. Yes, that's true. But if the defense does a job, okay, then there's chaos and then an athlete can take over. Let's go make a play. Yeah. Get, we see it all the time now to speak to the, the position I'm in now where we get out-athleted at times as a team, but then there's times that we out-athlete where our plays go awry and then we need our dudes to be dudes, which is cool. So you, you get leadership opportunity, putting the team on your back and it's, it's your time. Yeah. Um, to, to comment where now, I'm, I live in a small town west of Austin, so similar to, to Katie at the time, but Dripping Springs, and then I've, I was surprised they had lacrosse, but it immediately jumped into the team that, uh, that is there. So my position is athletic coordinator, like offensive coordinator, athletic coordinator, 
lead all warmups, conditioning, and all that good stuff, and in the games get to see what dudes are doing wrong and inject some movement to help them move better or feel the different positions and then help the coaches coach because they I, I view myself as a career coach. These gentlemen are career uh, oriented in something else. So they're giving back to the game. So if I can improve their ability to communicate, then that that's awesome down to the kids. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I had some of my high school offensive linemen who are defenders in lacrosse and they're like, coach, you gotta, you gotta come out and coach lacrosse. And I'm like, I don't know anything about it, but I will say this as a defenseman in lacrosse, it is the exact same as pass protection. Exact same. I, I watch it and I'm like, Holy cow. There's it's, but you have a stick and now you get this really cool implement that you can also bring to the contest and use leverage that way. And I just, for me, there's, maybe there's a possibility there, but I, I, I do. I just, I love that. You're like, you're consulting, you're consulting, you're consulting as a coach, as a movement specialist, as an athletic coordinator. I think that's a cool job title, by the way, athletic coordinator. The, and, and there's so much in the beauty of these kids playing other sports is in how I'm communicating. Hey, what sport did you play? What sport do you play? And then using the sport to help make the connections because they're all first time lacrosse players as well. They're right. all picking up the game at 16 because they, they couldn't make varsity or a hey, basketball. I'm not playing. I, ha I have to do something. So then they are all coming to this sport at this stage, similar to I was. So I know exactly uh, essentially how to communicate. I, I know the Texas lacrosse game. I know where these kids are coming from. So now it, it's really finding that. And yes, defense is offensive linemen. It's all footwork and hands. And then I ha happen to have this weapon in, in the stick that I can utilize, but I'm still protecting the goalie just like I would a, uh, a quarterback. And then the right. pocket is the crease. So like tackles and guards and, and centers for our football team, Dripping Springs football, all also happen to be our best defensemen. So there is this, yeah. this connection to it. And both lead, both sports make each other better at the other sports. Do you find, is there any pushback from the other coaches that kids are playing lacrosse? Because our, our football program here is massive. I love our head football coach. He's just, his son is actually our backup quarterback and he started playing lacrosse and now he went out and he watched lacrosse, I think, for the first time and greatly appreciated the sport. I mean, as a as a coach and as as an athlete, when you see it and you watch it in person and it's more than just on TV and you try to understand it, man, it's incredible. So I think it's impossible as a coach to go, well, there's no value in this because I think immediately a good coach will see great value in it. And so is there any pushback that you get from your other coaches? Like, ah, we need you in the weight room. Ah, we need you here. It's like, ah, it's like, oh, they are being wildly athletic out here and they're conditioning like crazy and competing hard. Politics, man. And, and also yeah, money. I, I don't give a shit. I'm a contractor for Dripping Springs Lacrosse. I have nothing to do or no affiliation with the high school. And then some of the things I'm hearing from the parents is unfortunate, but it's, it's fear-based it's fixed mindset from the mm -hmm. football coaches. They are having success on the football field and they start to just 
you know, I have to do everything I can to have this scarcity, scared mindset. We've seen this when John and I go to the Texas high school coaches conference to speak on strength and conditioning. And the coaches are holding on to their programs like it's freaking the Lord <laughs> of the rings. It's it's their precious thing. Dude, it's squatting, it's power cleaning and sprinting. That's a, it's not that complicated, is it? It's no secret. So it, it it they are scared, but I'm telling you, it makes you more evasive, athletic. We are still contacting, we're still uh, making right. contact, but it's more about the finesse and style of an offensive lineman. I, I, I appreciate how you and John communicate when we've had you on Power Athlete Radio of this high level game of technique. Well, yes, foot, uh, footwork, hand positioning, all that good stuff. But now I'm focusing on turning. I'm looking at where their hips and where they're going and I can make the appropriate steps to redirect their force and their body through space. So there is a level of athleticism and grit and hard work and communication and teamwork and accountability like just as in football with um beat one-on-one -on -one, it's my responsibility to take ownership for that the same for happening in lacrosse and similar to uh pass protection packages we have defenses where if right. i make a mistake as a defender it's on my teammate to then fill the gap fill the hole so that way Slide, we yeah. have success and then somebody's got to come down. We have a slide package, we call it. So if I'm playing uh, defense one-on-one, -on -one, I mess up, I get beat. Defender comes over, but then there's somebody else that has to come over and fill the gap that the uh, the slide came from. Right. So it, it's it's such it's sport, it's football, it's camaraderie. It's there's so much to it, and such an opportunity that's missed by just forcing kids to hey go do track. Okay, yes, you got right. more powerful Great. and fast, but you are not a better athlete. You're not a better teammate. And you it's it's unfortunate. And they're yeah. they're scared. If it's your all pro quarterback, all state quarterback that's going to college, I can understand your uh wanting to protect them. It's also protecting that kid's future. But if it's just the second string, the third string, or shit, even the first string of a, a lineman and it, let them play. What are you scared play. of? If they're freshmen, stop scaring them into away from the sport because right. you're doing them a disservice. Even the, even the starting quarterback, I just, I don't know. I think overall, I think you're limiting his upside athletic potential. If you're just pigeonholing him into these are the drills that we do. This is, you know, this is the movement patterns that we have. It's you are limiting the ceiling on that athlete. I just, the, as long as we could stay multi and be as multiple as possible, I think the better off we're going to be. I remember 2010, 11 was the NFL lockout where we couldn't go in to the facility. And this was the first time that I had the opportunity in a long time to play, to be free and to, you know, choose your own adventure. And me and a teammate went to a gym, a basketball gym, and we're like, you know, let's get in shape. Let's shoot some hoops. Like, we worked out, and then we shot some hoops afterwards. And I was like, I remember Houston to be able to drop step, just bucket step, two-hand dunk at 240 pounds or whatever. And I was like, all right. And I had a, a 295 at a 34-inch vertical. I was like, all right, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. I'm going to get back to dunking this year. This is going to be a good thing for me. I, the programming – 
had been so strong into keeping my feet on the ground that I could not physically dribble up to the goal, grab the ball and launch for a dunk. Like my body, it was the strangest sensation that I'd ever had where I couldn't physically dribble and pick up the ball and go. I was like, Oh my goodness. I am so unathletic right now. Like, and I think that's what a lot of coaches want overall, especially with offensive linemen. I think we talked about this when I came on your show was an offensive lineman. You're actually trying to get less athletic. Like you want, you want athletic feet, but I'm trying to not move. And I'm trying to just keep my elbows in tight and I'm trying to stay upright in all positions. And I'm trying to just move with my legs and scurry around like a crab. Well, then when it comes to doing anything else, my body had been so hardwired that I could not physically launch, which was tragic. And I realized, wow, there's some serious deficiencies here. And so we got the opportunity that offseason for three months, four months to just play. So our conditioning turned into ultimate Frisbee and soccer and basketball and all these fun things. And guess what? We were fine. Like, like that next season, I don't think there was an abundance of injuries. I don't think there was any, we had none in the off season and everyone was really happy and like motivated to come to work out. Yeah. A couple points you brought up that are key. I'll, I'll lead off with no injuries in the off season. There is zero excuse to get hurt training. Right. <laughs> That's right. The means to an end. We are using weight room to get big, strong, powerful, and fast to play sport mm -hmm. all too common. What happens at the high school level, the strength and conditioning responsibilities are handed off to the youngest coach who then just does what they did in high school or college, whatever their highest level is. And they don't have necessarily the coach's eye of how to, okay, dude, that's too much today. And then as contrary to the power athlete methodology, using percentage-based programs for the youth, that is, that is BS. And that will right. lead to potential injury or take away from long-term potential development for your kids because that percentage that day is not as much as they could handle in a right. term that we use in the course called trainability, which is your long-term athletic development. Um, and then for the, the sport and just pigeonholing it, football is awesome. I love football, but it teaches you to just be too tense, too hard. Yes. When we know there's this freedom in this movement that is turn on, turn off, relax, where football just means on, on, on. I need on, off, on, off. I just need to, to, to read and react and breathe and move through space, which some of the skill positions, we see that, especially mm -hmm. the running back and the receivers doing these amazing things that we get to see on, on SportsCenter. So is this turn on, turn off, but then the closer you get to that ball, right, the more it is fight, fight, fight. And yes. that ingrains into you, which then will take away from, from uh, long-term athletic development and this, this freedom and speed and, and relax. It's a, it's a tough habit to break, but certainly will make you more fluid and quicker when necessary. Get into, because we started to get into it a little bit there. How did you guys come about the power athlete methodology? I mean, I've gone through the books, the reading list, the recommended reading list, and kind of where that all went. And then 
when did it turn to, all right, I go from Mark Ripito and then we go to Volkashansky and then we go to, you know, it's like, I think it was Windler, you know, and then how do you come about and have your own methodology from, from all of those? Yeah. Ex excellent question. And anything that we utilize from someone else, it is cited within yes. our, our work that we, do we give out and deliver and we aim to uh, give credit where credit is due and connect with them for a conversation on the podcast. So we can, it's not just one liner that people accept. They can take a breath and listen to where these concepts, these ideas are coming from. Yeah. That's one, one, one thing before you go any further is I'm in the course right now. I'm in power athlete methodology, level one course, and it is incredibly thorough. I got the book. I showed it on the intro hardcover. You got to get the hard copy folks. And the, the course is awesome. And you're, you're right. You interlace it with one, you cite your sources, but two, you have the conversation. And so in the middle of the course, you can take a dovetail and go over here. And it's like, I need to learn a little bit more about starting strength or whatever it is. And you'll have an hour long conversation where you can get into the weeds there and dig deeper into that knowledge base that you're trying to deliver. And I love just the entire layout of the program altogether. I mean, not, not the programming. I'm not there yet. That's in, uh, I think the night, the ninth block. So yeah, you lay the foundation and then we get to the programming. So I'm in the very end of six. Can't wait to get to nine and see where we came up with, but go ahead. Tell me how you distilled all that information down and came up with the power athlete methodology. Well, it, it, it started with John's career. And if you look at his high school playing career, it's that, you know, basic strength and conditioning program from uh, any high school athlete will go through. And he did his due diligence, understanding the value of strength, size, and power to call people to learn more. And he actually grew up across the street from a, a man named George Zangus. Zangus, that old man Zangus. You know, hear, I hear him all the time on the, yeah. Exactly. So talk about geography. And John would do his high school program plus train with Zangus and learned about some themes and some, some powerful pillars within the programming, including Dr. Fred Hatfield, who Zangus knew, and then a term called compensatory acceleration, train fast, be fast, uh, which we can explore a little bit. So an awesome introduction to weightlifting from a world-class coach that happened to be across the street and then led to Cal bears where he explored an Olympic weightlifting, a power-based strength and conditioning system. So not just hey, more, more squats, more strength, more numbers. It was an expression of strength. Strength sits on an Island without your ability to use it. So another fortunate opportunity where, okay, yeah, you're strong, but can you do this? Who is that? Todd Rice there? It is Todd, Todd Rice, Rice so yeah. plyometrics. And um, Rice has been in a number one, uh, been at a number of division one strength programs and, and has experience sending a lot of people to professional sports. From there, Eagles drafted fourth round, second pick overall, heard that a few times. And he went into a hit program, high intensity interval training that was all machines. 
So imagine just, hey, we're doing row three today. I need you to get three sets of 10. And you just go down the line, one, two, three. And based off his experience, he knew that would not allow him the opportunity to, to be as athletic as he needed to be. So he sought out uh, a different coach and a man named Rafael Ruiz down in Tampa. I'll let John tell those stories. But Raf, he played Division One college football at Sam Houston State. He was all state at track in Texas, in Colleen, Texas. It's a, uh, a military town. And uh, found, they connected to Tampa, and they explored a lot of the different concepts and the foundations of the movements that we have in there. And uh, fortunate, I was fortunate in 2014 to go spend four months with Raf, essentially understanding his mindset, his ideas, concepts. And from traveling seminars, working closely with John, working with Raf, diving into the literature, having this full understanding, we wanted to create an opportunity for coaches to accelerate their development. We don't want you to take this freaking five-year-plus journey that I had working closely with John, Raf, and all the other conversations that we had on the podcast and created a methodology that was, okay, we're going to start here and we're going to lead you on this journey that you will develop as a coach, as a communicator, as seeing the visual as you're applying the information that we're handing to you piece by piece. So that's essentially the gist of we don't want anybody to go on that uh, cane from Kung Fu journey that I had to endure. <laughs> I had a great time. But at the same time, like, okay, now here's all the information that took us years, decades yeah. to, to develop and put into a package that's digestible. Now go apply it and improve upon it. So that, that, essentially is the objective and we're we're going through some rewrites and some updates here because uh we're working on version two we'll certainly send you that once once we're all buttoned up but that, that's it we have a repeatable product so this led yes. leads to the programming section where okay we can drop this program in anywhere and we're going to get the same results now it's not just a matter of programming. It's not this magic piece of paper. It's programming. We need to teach you what to see and communicate. And that's that's where the 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 depth and the exposure to these these principles are necessary. To where if you see this, then here's the direction that we need you to take mm -hmm. versus just guess and potentially hurt a kid. Um, so it's, it's a principle-based approach. This is also last note. I know I'm talking a lot here, but a principle-based approach versus a philosophy. Awesome. Have your philosophy. That's, that's cool. We, we know how that works out. You know, it, it's one, two, three years, and then they usually fizzles out, or you can change your philosophy per season, depending on the squad you have. Awesome. But principles will always be there. So we lean on different forms of principles we have a science-based principle set. So these are biology. We're stealing this from biology. Right. We can't fight it. You can't out-train certainly biological laws within there. So we need coaches to understand those. You don't have to understand the specific physiology of what goes on, but here's some basic principles of the body that we need you to understand. 
Yes. So our, our biological principles and then our, our coaching principles. These are more our experience that we're handing down to you to what to look for, how to coach, how to set up and execute essential best practice principles from our experience that you need to understand and lock it in so you can have success. And we have two driving principles. The first is said principle, specific adaptation to impose demands. This is the, the father of our biological laws. So specific adaptations, that is strength, power, speed, all the physical stuff that we're, we're training for and for our, our teammate, our kids, and then impose demands. Those are the X's and the O's. Those are the sets and the reps. Mm-hmm. So this has been done for, for decades, for eons. So we're not going to pretend that we're recreating the wheel here. We know if we apply this set and rep scheme, at this load, this adaptation to the body is going to happen. So then this is helps guide our programming. The said principles are programming guide or principle. And then for our coaching, it's a term called specificity. This is where we need to understand who the athlete is an individual we're working with and what sport are they training for and how do we set them up in the weight room So we have our program sets and reps, but how are we uh, communicating our setup and our execution to them to get them to accomplish and drive the adaptations and and be the mentally tough individual to be the hammer. So that's coaching principles and, and programming principles. And those are the two things for a successful coach. And our experience is either one or the other that someone has a limitation or a weakness that they need to work on. Uh, mostly coaching, but still programming is a, a necessary tool, especially for developing power athletes. Yes. You know what I love so what I love so much about the methodology is th- I don't want to, and it's not like a slight on it, the simplicity of it, right? It's not overly complicated. These are the primal movement patterns. These are what you have to be good at to one, be a human, and then two, to be a power athlete. And to me, that's, you have built it on, you know, the lunge, the step up, the squat, the hinge, the press, horizontal press and the overhead press. Like those are the basic movement patterns. Where are you at? And I know John had the experience at Cal with the Olympic lifting and, you know, we were like in college, we were modified Olympic lifting. So we power cleaned, we didn't we didn't ask the grass power clean. Like we just cleaned and caught it in an upright position, hopefully in that universal athletic position that you guys preach, but a lot of times probably not. But as well as, you know, feet out, it's like, oh my God, catch it, max mode, all the things. But it was like a modified power pro uh, Olympic lifting program, but it wasn't, I see it trending more is the more Olympic lifts. And I don't know if it's trending more now or if it was trending more then, or I don't know exactly what the state of strength and conditioning is at different high schools or colleges, but where are you guys at with Olympic lifts and the transferability to actual sport rather than the Olympic lifting as a sport itself? So transfer is a key word that you use there. And it is, it's an expression of strength. It's power, power clean. And to, 
to differentiate a power clean is when we catch it, our hips are above parallel. And then yes. a clean, clean, which often in the sport of a w- Olympic weightlifting, we want to go travel the shortest distance from point A to point B, which is usually we get our ass to the grass and we try to minimize the distance that we can travel that bar from our shins to our front squat rack position. So if I travel in a power clean, let's, let's just call it four feet or it's a go clean where I can catch it low, I only have to move a couple of feet. So for the sport of Olympic weightlifting, you can use that catch of ass to grass. But if we look at football, lacrosse, basketball, if our ass is ever below our knees, <laughs> you're in a rough spot now. Exactly. So in terms of transfer, we want to utilize the power clean as an opportunity to teach our athletes how to catch and load and absorb an external force. We reference, oh you reference it, the toes forward, that athletic position. That's how we're going to squat. It's how we're going to jump as high as we can and land. And it's how we're going to catch our power cleans. So that toes forward, knees over arches are in steps. Imagine a linebacker set up or somebody ready to return a serve in tennis. That athletic position. It's also optimal for change of direction, crossover yes. steps and, and different things. So it's, a, it's an ultimate position for the transfer of sport that we can ingrain in the weight room. So if we're looking at the squat, that's the safest maximal load that we can put onto a, an athlete without getting them hurt. So we're ingraining this instinctive default position using the squat with the weight. Now for a power clean, that's as fast as we can move with the stress of catching and absorbing a force where they're focusing on the feet and the foot position. So they're going to start in a toes forward, heels underneath their hips, like a, a deadlift or a, a vertical jump position, mm-hmm. pull that weight as high as they can, and then catch in a wider athletic position, toes forward. And that's training them how to land instead of like the, the, the stiff curl and me catching it too tense. No, I got to turn on. I got to turn off for a second, reestablish my body position, and then catch turn on again and absorb and fight for that force similar to coming off the ball and then absorbing the force of another human being trying to fight me. So the two wide toes out all these different weird things that you would see in a high school weight room. Those are, you got to pay attention to those because now you're ingraining how they will land when they try to stop somebody Mm -hmm. that's coming in. And you know from offensive lineman technique, if I'm out here duck-footed and I freaking got a step in the bucket, I turn my hips, we, we can see that within a power clean. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. now, rather than me as a coach just MFing this kid, hey, you keep stepping in the bucket. Your footwork is terrible. Wow, you're awful. I should look to the weight room and pre-set myself up for success. Okay, he, at this weight, He is expressing the poor negative technique from the field. I'm going to take away some stress and restart and ingrain it. Okay. Okay. We've established good catch position here at 60 kilos. Let's jump it up to 62 and then so on and so forth until we gradually go up challenging his technique. 
podcast, yes. not the weight on the bar. I don't care if it. That's the hard. That's the hardest thing to get into their heads, isn't it? Is that it's it's more about the technique than it is the weight, but they want to see the weight go up and maybe the head coach wants to see the weight go up, but we only want to see the weight go up when the technique is right. And, and getting that technique right is super critical to have maximum weight on the bar down the line. You know, it's the same, it's the same concept. It's like, you got to look long-term, not short-term when we come to this. And, and it is, a, it is a change in perspective. It is a change in culture for, for a lot of coaches out there, but they need to have a growth mindset. They need to be willing. And the, the beauty of working with the lacrosse coaches that I have is they are, they are willing. They don't, they don't know, but they do know that we want to get better. So that was a, it was a transition for, uh, for them at the time, but included, uh, as being as inclusive as I can. And then mm -hmm. making the connections between a simple lunge and a shot. So helping bridge the gap from movement to where it is on the field. Right. And one of the appeals that I'd love to make for sport coaches, every season begins with, hey, we're working fundamentals here for one, two weeks, fundamentals, basketball, football, lacrosse, it's all. The first spring or the first practices to get into it are all fundamentals. Coaches value them movement squat step lunge those are the fundamentals to the fundamentals so if we suck at the fundamentals to the fundamentals <laughs> i sure as shit assure you that the fundamentals within the football practice are also going to suck mm -hmm. and then guess what coaches are selfish they're also impatient and okay. very impatient and very anxious we checked the pr practice box, our preseason. We did our fundamentals. Now let's just move on because I'm bored. No, no, no. It doesn't work. Or, or we're falling behind. It's always a we're, we're behind. We're behind. We got to run. We got to do this play. We got to do that play. It's like, no, no, no. Just master the fundamentals and, and get the habits trained so when the pressure ratchets up that we're doing things properly. That's it. And, and don't overcomplicate this. And you can see it in the weight room, exactly where the, the boiling point and the breaking point of those fundamentals of the fundamentals, mm -hmm. if you know what to look for. And then the, the beauty and what, what I absolutely love, and I'm very fortunate is that I, I am at practice. So I get to run the conditioning. I get to see, and I get to know these kids and then can communicate to adjust any practice, a lot of fallacy and fault of the, the strength coaches is they can't attend practice. They are just, if it's a high school strength coach, hey, I got this 30 minute block with the volleyball team. I got this 30 minute block with swimming. I got this 30 minute and there's no time for them to go to practice. And just watch, watch how they perform. It is. It is. However, if I'm a football coach and then how most programs are run, low man on the totem pole is at practice plus weight room duties. Now, if they're an intelligent team. They'll find a strength coach to take care of both. And then, yes, I may miss out on a position coach on my salary bank, my roster. But at the same time, I can teach. Here's the other thing. A coach knows what to look for. Now, what we do at Power Athlete, we teach those coaches, the football coaches that have a coach's eye, what to look for in the weight room mm -hmm. and then how to communicate it 
and hopefully help bridge that gap to the field. So if you're a football yeah. coach out there, Hey, we, we got a, we got a, a excellent route for you to take to improve your understanding of movement, your communication yes. as a coach, and then give you the program to apply versus you writing your own program. We've done the hard work. Stop writing yeah. your own training programs. You selfish sons of bitches. <laughs> it's proprietary. It's all for, <laughs> it's like you guys have, it's, it's tried. It's tested. It's true. I mean, you've done it with thousands, tens of thousands of athletes all over the world and got the data back from it. So that's, you know, that's one thing that you talked about earlier is like in all of the time that you were traveling the world and doing seminars for CrossFit, you also got the data. So that repeatable programming was super, super important and useful. And it helped guide where the program continued to evolve. And I think that's super important. I want to, there's one thing as we were talking about toes out for offensive linemen and it's like if there's a hot button for offensive linemen it's toes out here's my philosophy on that is this is that a lot of you have to play with all your cleats in the ground you just have if you don't you're on a very unstable surface a lot of kids don't have the ankle mobility to be able to with their toes forward get their cleats in the ground so that's why a lot of coaches have said, turn your toes out so you can have all of my studs in the ground because, I mean, I'll see a kid play with his toes forward, but he's on just the ball of his foot and he's leaving his entire heel off the ground and he's very unstable and his body knows that. So every time he gets hit, say his left foot's partially down, he gets hit on his left shoulder, that left foot just like flies back and his hip opens up and it's like, you got to get those feet down. The The whole cleat has to be in the ground when you're delivering blows. And then, of course, you know, you extend off of that, and that's fine. But I did have to tell a kid the other day, I was like, hey, your cleats are up in your stance, one. I'm not a huge fan of that. And I see why you're doing it. It's because your ankles aren't mobile enough. So we need to work on your ankle mobility so then we can be in better position. So it's not like... Well, he can't do it. Just, just turn your feet out. Okay, that's fine to start. But we do need to, as we're going through this, continue to work on the mobility so then we can get in the proper positions that allow us to then express our athleticism more and our strength more that we've been working to develop. Yes, exactly. And this is the beauty of your experience with the sport in the weight room. So now we have heavy ass squats as a tool. Okay. What's an excellent opportunity for us to work on mobility of the ankle squatting toes forward. So now I'm sending my knees forward. I'm sinking down into it. I'm not driving my knees out. I'm forcing my, forcing my knees forward into this excellent shin angle that I'm working on my ankle mobility, right? The key term of limiting factors. This is where we, as in the weight room, we want to find out what our athletes can't do because that's what's going to cost them on the field. And this that's is right. an excellent example that he cannot keep all of his cleats into the ground. So if he does rotate his feet out at some point where that's pushing forwards or moving laterally, that's going to negatively affect his ability to move. So now if I ignore that ankle mobility and flexibility, it's going to cost him 
forwards, backwards, sideways, laterally, it's going to cost them on the field some way or another. Yeah, and it usually work. It'll work up the line, right? It'll work from the ankle to the knee to the hip. Mm-hmm. And just, they're all connected. And everybody's taping ankles these days to prevent injury, but it prevents performance. So we need that foot to and the whole ankle to work like it's made to to that that and the knee brace the the prophylactic knee brace for me i'm like what in the world are we doing you're limiting function of the body and you're locking it into a place where it may not want to be i to me it's not ideal i watch these kids try to run in these knee braces and they they're like swinging their legs around because the brace isn't allowing any freedom of movement i just i had a coach try to talk me into a knee brace once and i was like absolutely not going to wear that there's no way in hell I'm wearing that as a prophylactic to an MCL. Like, not happening. I can't move. I'm not fast. I'm not quick. I'm not agile. I don't get to put my body in the positions that maybe it wants to be in. And and the you you had the performance, and you were in a position to make that decision where they had a suggestion. There's a lot of kids out there that are told, "Oh, you play offensive line. You're in knee braces." Yeah shackle them up their their athleticism potential is decreased so a lot of kids that maybe can go to the league by the end of their four years they're limited and locked in and they as as you expressed earlier inability to jump and express themselves like it was taken away from them because a coach is stuck in the uh the old way rather than understanding the weight room okay you want to protect your knees let's Put some freaking hamstring, like steel cables on the backside of you. Right? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. That's to me, it's it's a little bit mind bending. Where are you at on uh Astagrass guy on knees over toes on that hole? I know that's a huge thing now. Like two big things that I see are knees over toes and then hip mobility working its way into a lot of strength programs that I that I follow, they're spending 30, 40 minutes just sitting there doing 90-90s. Where, where are you at on both of those topics? Uh, economy of time. So if I'm a strength coach at the college okay, level, I got eight hours a week. That's it with my team. Now that's off season where eight hours of mine as a strength coach. But then if the kid needs practice skill work, Okay, well, that's minus one hour or two hours, depending on what the coach needs. So it's this detracting time. If I'm in season, it's still eight hours a week for the athlete. But now me as a strength coach, I get one, two hours. So how much time do I have with this athlete? Now, a professional is a whole different ballgame, and I don't even want to touch that. Um, but at the same time, it's actually less. They get They get less time unless you're outsourcing and paying for it. The athlete himself has more time, but the coach has less time with the athlete. Yeah. And which is, which is worse. Yeah. And high school is the same way. We get six, 15 practices in the fall. And then like, I can volunteer my time if they want to. Um, yeah. But anyway, so it's, it's very limited and economy of time is the lesson here. So I only have so much time now knees over toes that's what we're, our aim and our objective is how we teach the squat the step and the lunge 
and we reverse engineer all of our action going back to the said principle. So our squat set up an execution. We want our knees tracking forwards out over our toes and then getting the ankle, calf, hamstring, glute, whole posterior chain involved versus driving our knees out to hit a specific depth. So our target with our squat is as low as we're able to maintain good posture and leg position. Mm. Now we can utilize the squat and load to increase my mobility in a good toes forward position. And then the same with the lunge. As I step forward within my lunge, I want to drive that knee forwards and then maintain a straight line from my back knee to the top of my head. So this is hip extension. So a squat and standing up full hip extension or standing at the tall of my squat, that's not true hip extension. If you look at the still of a sprinter where their knee is tracking back behind their, their hips and that full stride, that's yep. hip extension. Or swimming is a beautiful example. If we're flutter kicking, I'm kicking up into the water. There's some rotation and some operation within my hips where my knee is behind the hip. That's hip extension. Yeah. Yeah. So utilizing the opportunity with our lunges and our step-ups, we are transferring these trainings of the, the squat, the step, and the lunge to the field with the expectation that we're sending our knees forward to track over our toes. And that is very representative of excellent change of direction technique. Or if I'm watching my sprinting technique, I got my knee out over my toes. I also have hip extension where you said hip mobility. I just want to say hip extension because right. if I have limited hip mobility that affects my hip extension, that's the problem. And I will do mobility drills. We like loading up tissue. So using weights to increase our full range of motion under control. So this is going back to one of John's terms. We have passive range of motion or active range of motion. Playing a sport is a very active range of motion. Perfect posture and position in sport does not exist. But it's our ability to control wherever we're being taken by someone else or trying to take someone that matters. So within the squat, the step, the lunge, and our different primal movement patterns under load, we're increasing our active range of motion with the lunges. This is probably the most, uh, I would say the step up is the most underutilized movement. And we go into very good depth on how to coach this. So it transfers to sprinting the, with the step up, it's not an accessory movement. It's a foundational primal movement pattern as we put so much emphasis on it. Where in traditional strength and conditioning programs. It's just a, yeah, just do step ups. It's an accessory. It's a throwaway. Yeah, it's a back end deal. Yeah, hurry, th hurry through them. Yeah, or it's the first cut. Say, right. sport coach over there. Uh, you know, you get the call down from the weight room. Oh, these guys were pains in my ass today. I made them run three miles. Stay off their legs. Click. Well, it's, <laughs> it's step up day. So now it's it's I have to to throw away this movement. Because I, as a selfish coach, just want to get my squats in. Mm -hmm. eh, nah, we would value the unilateral movement, especially in season, because it's not as heavy a load on our central nervous system and can keep them more fresh. And it's more connected to their sprint. So where 
Ben Patrick knees over toes. He's done a great job of bringing awareness to this. He's also coming from the angle of recovery. So this is an important factor. And we spoke with the dude. He's a nice guy. And I appreciate the awareness that he's bringing to this. He had a knee injury and he rehabbed it and returned to performance. Majority of the folks that we're training with, while they've experienced and expressed injuries, the high majority of our folks are lifting heavy, hard, and fast that have not had a catastrophic injury. So we're still, we're saying the same thing. He's just coming at it from a rebuilding perspective where we are teaching you from the get-go, our squat, our step, and our lunge to track the knees forward out over the toes. And while... um, Which is preventative in itself. Yeah, well, he does add load, which is awesome. But at the same time, it sure as shit is not as much as we're adding to our athletes right. under control, safe circumstances and their ability to control the weight through their active range of motion. Mm-hmm. And one th- last point to make on this weight should challenge technique. It should never change technique. So I ask all of my, my athletes when the uh, weight room days, world's strongest athletes start with the bar. So we're squatting today, start with a bar and I'm watching these. So the bar, their first warm up set, that's that is their range of motion for the day. Now weight may improve and increase that said range of motion, but their strength sets should not shorten from what they've shown me they can move today for that range of motion. So weight challenge technique never change technique. Change technique could be valgus knee, it could be forcing knees out, it could be forcing knees way forward into an anterior quad dominant movement where we're training our athletes for a posterior dominant think about the dudes you played against that had the freaking huge hamstrings huge ass or the dudes that looked like freaking uh you know sports illustrated the body models those are show muscles what i can see in a mirror where we're primarily focusing on go muscles all those on the backside. yeah yeah it's it's really interesting during my career i was i got up to a 620 squat was the most that I had, but I never had glutes. I could not <laughs> like, and that's, and, and partly I would say that's a little bit of the strength coach and understanding. Like when I came in, I walked on, I had never benched and I had never squatted. And I walked on as a fourth semester in college and immediately just getting under the bar and lifted as much as possible and figure it out. And there was never a, here's your introduction to squat here's how we set up here's how it's just like yeah you'll watch everybody and figure it out basically is kind of the deal and i did get pretty daggone strong fairly quickly however i do think that top end was limited knee damage may have happened i was we were big wide stance low bar knees out you know that kind of power power lifting stance rather than the athletic stance and i do think at some point, it was probably bad on the knees and bad on the back, but also it didn't develop the muscles that probably should have been developed, you know? And now it's like going back and I'm like, oh, this is how you develop your glutes. Oh, I can actually feel it in my squat. Oh, no kidding. I, you know, and there's a lot of things like that that in hindsight, looking back, it's like probably should have addressed that and then targeted those muscles, the the posterior, and you guys, I know are 
three to the front or three to the back, one to the front, three to one in that ratio back to front, which I definitely agree with. Yeah, a lot of that is operating under the experience as a male athlete. I'm going to get some bench time just on my own. Naturally. <laughs> I'm going to curl. I'm going to get those, those show muscle days on my own. But the program we deliver, it factors that in and aims to, to build that backside. And uh, maybe we're never mad at extra, extra work. It's just how it's being done. And the, the biceps, the, the pec work, the abs, all that stuff can be utilized if I'm coaching an athlete as a reward. And one thing oh, cool. I never want to do is take away a th enthusiasm for the weight room from a kid. So if they want to do more, help steer and direct it towards uh, more long-term sure stuff myself. and understanding. Yeah. I like that. I like the reward-based system. Yeah. Hey, do the work and then you, you get some of the reward, get some of those show muscles. All right. Before we get going, uh, two things. Where's What's changing? Where's Is it philosophical changes? Because I'm assuming there's not hard um, principle. The, the principles are the principles, but philosophically, where are you guys going? And then what's next for the company? And then what's next for you personally? What are you on all those? What are you trying to develop? Well, from a, a methodology perspective, the, the, the course as it stands now, it is, it is the level one. And this is your first year as a, a strength coach or practitioner. And then over 60% of the people that come through the course, it's, this is their first exposure to strength and conditioning education. So in this process, 2022, we are bolstering that course to where it's not a level one. It is the power athlete methodology. And here is four years of an athlete's life cycle. This is from their year one. We'll call it a freshman all the way until they're a senior and ready for leveling up to whether it's college. And this applies to gen pop because people come to you for the first time to utilize right. a barbell. And then in four years, they're on to bigger and better things, whether it's Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting and these things as sports or the adventure races or, you know, getting into freaking pickleball is taking over the. <laughs> <That's not> <laughs> It's great. We understand both the, the performance-based athlete as well as the enthusiast that in, in, entrusts us with their performance so they don't get hurt that will then take away from golf and kids and life. Uh, again, theoretically, you should never get hurt training, but people tend to every year, and we don't want it to be a result of the programming or the coaching that we're applying. Uh, so that that is a major overhaul, and you'll you'll see the updated courses, uh, lessons within the course evolve over the next few months. Here, um, I got uh, a haircut. It's been it's been a while, so you'll see me a little bit different. John looks the same. I don't know what he's doing, but it's working. He's not aging. No, of course not. The uh, so that that is a long overhaul in terms of the company. Are we have pillars? It's this online education base and things haven't changed, but we've evolved as communicators and how effectively we are communicating this information that is ever evolving. And the beauty of the podcast is we get reps talking and explaining whether it's, it's 
people that are in the strength realm or people that are in some other awesome field, neurology, uh, biology, science. And then we have to explain where we're coming from, but we got to dumb it down for really smart people. So our ability as communicators and teachers continues to evolve. Uh, and then we, we leave philosophy for the practitioner who's applying it. That's, you know, your team, you know, your people make it creative, make it their own, have uh, some involvement in there. We don't want you to, to take any of our stuff while well, we still have our own philosophy, right? Be the hammer, eat the weak, move the dirt. These are our, our, our mantras for the other branch of our business, which is our training business. So online training, we were in this space since, since essentially 2009 when John started CrossFit Football and gave it away for free, but in the paid training department since 2014. And then with the dawn of COVID and freaking Chris Hemsworth and Nike and all these people throwing money into this that are yeah. giving dog shit training, not performance-based training, just a, uh, you know, throw some yeah. pain on the burn, burn calories. It's burn calories, fitness. That's it. Which is just being on the hamster wheel and it's not productive and it's frustrating. And you wonder why you don't look like Chris Hemsworth because Chris Hemsworth doesn't train like that. No. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't train like that. I hate to tell you. And, and he's got some supplements that, uh, <laughs> here. additionals, additionals that, that, yeah, the job requires now. Yeah. Uh, but the, the online training space and we're finding our people and we're, we're taking a, a stance of finding the right people for our program. If you want hard work, if you acknowledge the weights will always be heavy, the sprints will always be challenging, then, then you're our people. Then cool. Finding the, the right people and eat the weak. It's, it's not a call for cannibalism. It's <laughs> a mantra to devour feeble excuses and, and get after what you need to. Yeah. And you guys are targeting the, you guys with your branding are targeting the right audience. Yeah. And they're yes. willing to accept working hard and uh, move the dirt. Some days you get a shovel, some days you get a spoon, but it's always, we're getting after it. We are moving and accomplishing what we need to and be the hammers. As I mentioned earlier, if it's from an athlete's perspective, I want to make, I want to be a freaking hammer on the field more often than I'm the nail. But from now I'm a father, now I'm a, a man in my community or a person in my community making an impact, being a hammer, using my body to accomplish something, you know, helping somebody out, push a car that's in the middle of the road. So increasing my utility through intelligent training programs, whether it's in a garage gym or within a Glovo gym, still guiding training program. And we write the program, assuming you're training solo. So awesome if you get training partners, but still, if you're training alone, you don't need all these crazy contraptions. And we have different training programs for your equipment list. If it's dumbbells only or an introduction to the barbell, or I want to train like John did for the NFL, or I'm a new father, I'm a busy CEO, I'm all this, and I only have X amount of time to train. I'm a med student. My buddy I mentioned earlier from uh, the sophomore class that made it the NFL now he's venturing into med school and he's on our yeah. grindstone program. So like there's something for everybody, but it's still principle-based strength and conditioning programming. And we are very active within to add our coaching flair. If you post videos, we're active pulling that out. And then we also have our nutrition biz. If 
Again, this is the foundation for everything. It's, it's under talked, but I mean, it man, is it ever, it's so not sexy. It's so not sexy, but none of it, it it's not that none of it matters without the nutrition, but without the nutrition, you are wasting a wild amount of time and effort. I mean, it's so much more progress. You want to talk about nutrition ensures that you have the shovel and not the spoon when you're moving the dirt, you know, it's like, and the worse your nutrition is the smaller that spoon gets. You just ramp up, ramp up the nutrition. And all of a sudden you start doing it right consistently for a long time. And then all of a sudden it's like, you've got a bobcat out back and you're just hauling dirt away and your body's changing because you're giving it what it needs. And it, it leads to a realization that when you do indulge beers, pizza, et cetera, and go off track, how that affects your ability to train. And then it leads to better decision-making on the nutrition front, because you have such a, a passion and a motivation to the, the training piece. So it's, it's all connected. Um, yes. Now getting high schoolers to eat is <laughs> so hard. It is so, it is so hard. But the one thing I hear my kids talking about now is Coach, this doesn't have enough protein in it, does it? And I'm like, oh, man, that is, you just said my magic word, protein. Like, that's all I needed to hear was, pro. Coach, what do we eat before a game? Oh, man, I'm glad you're asking. Thank you for asking. You know, and it doesn't mean that they're going to do it. No, but they're asking. And that's a start. I'm currently battling that I'm not primal enough, and the liver king is taking over the TikTokers. <laughs> and so I, I got to He's on some additionals. Let's just. <laughs> yeah. A reality for, for the, the kids out there. And uh, I don't want them to have unattainable body issues. I want them to focus on the execution, the performance on the field, and then lead to some quality decisions when it comes to nutrition. And by the way, his body wouldn't be useful on a field. I'm it, it's not, it's not, you know, it's such a funny thing is like what you look at and what you think is the body that's going to be the one that performs is not usually that way. Unless in football, unless we're talking about a running back, a DB, a linebacker receivers are a lot of times like, eh, okay, some of them are unbelievable, but you know, I mean, it's not always the cover model that is the best athlete. And I, it gets so lost because that's all we see over and over is you got like Aaron Donald's probably sitting at, I don't know, 12, 14%, 15% body fat, but it's very useful for him. He's, he's maxed out on his muscle. He needs that weight forces mass times acceleration. And some of that fat is probably a little bit beneficial to him. Now my kids need more muscle. We got to keep putting more muscle on them, but don't think you got to be six pack bodybuilding stage ready to perform because you don't that's not that's not a performance body that's a physique body it's a different thing it's a different thing yeah anyway where are you where are you going personally what's your next step of growth the it's it's as a leader and what's what's blown my mind is i've been fortunate to be a part of teams throughout my career even here at power athlete where every Everyone wants to, to succeed, to win, and is willing to do the work. But then as I'm venturing into other endeavors, it's seeing 
excuses come up or, you know, playing the, the blame game. Mm-hmm. So me now just essentially increasing my social intelligence for the, the real world out there and, and, may, and curbing my expectations a little bit. And maybe that's why John and I work so well together is, is those expectations. But at the same time, I cannot hold everyone to that. And as we grow as a business and a company, it's, it's still holding people accountable, but helping them figure out how they operate and then seeing if we can increase that potential or if they're not the right fit. Um, So it's, and there's that too, right? There is that, there's that moment. There's that realization. It's like, Hey, we can either move forward together or not. And maybe this isn't the right fit for you right now. And that's okay. You know, there's some, there is somebody who is more willing to accept, you know, whatever excuses you're coming up with or reasons that you think you have, or, you know, blaming, you know, whatever that's all too common. And I think that's one of the, with online, that is one of the greatest challenges is that you can't look somebody in the eye and be like, you're fine. You're fine. Keep moving. You know, it's a really, that's a really difficult thing, but there are moments where you have to just break up with the client and say, this is probably not for you. And especially, especially you guys, because of where you come from and the position you have and the, you know, like, know what it means to be a power athlete it's when you come in here it's like we don't need your excuses just get moving yeah and i it's it's tough and i mean even this week just talking through it and realizing like i can't i can't save everyone my unfortunately that's it's a hard it's a hard realization that's a hard thing that it's like can't save them all unfortunately yeah i can't get i can't give you what i have you have to you have to work to get what you're going to get. And unfortunately, like you can't give clients your mindset. John can't give clients his mindset. It's just you do your best and some take it and some accept it and some love it. And others just they aren't there yet. And maybe maybe one day they'll come back to you and they'll be ready for it. Yeah. So seeing that and identifying that range of people and then, you know, which hammer do I pull out to be a tool here to, uh, to put them in the right position to succeed, even if it is realizing, you know, this, this is not the client, this is not the teammate, this is not the, the, the high school kid has things going on well outside of here that are affecting this interaction, right? That, right. Uh, you know, maybe this, this, at this moment in time will not work out. So not, and, and it is, it is tough. Like I want the it's best hard. out of everyone. You yeah. see potential. And, um, so aiming to improve that, that social intelligence, man, it's, it is That's tough. Great. That's great. Well, Chris, thank you. This has been uh, super informative, been nice getting to hear you and, uh, and speak to you and pick your brain a little bit. I think there's, there's a lot in there obviously. And I'm, uh, going to, continue I'll, I'll be done with this hopefully within the next several weeks and i'll follow up with you guys but i'd love to make it down to austin and come train and uh be a part of be a part of the team oh we would love to get you out here if if it's just for some training and some barbecue time and talking shop i mean i just want to sit there and listen to you and john talk about the <laughs> the, the minute things of performance that just it it fascinates me 
and then find a way to then look for those things on the field to try to help the guys that I'm working with. But it's, it, it's always engaging and fun, man. We got to do this more often. So thank you for the opportunity. Yes, we do. Thank you very much. And we will get this out uh, next week. Oh, fast, fast. Hey man, lightning round for more. I gotta, I can't not forget to plug. Please do. Yeah. Sorry. I'd need to ask at power athlete HQ on Instagram is our primary uh, feed. So we give away the power athlete radio blogs, uh, training info, all of that good stuff, powerathletehq.com. And then for the education, it's academy.powerathletehq.com. And then my personal Instagram, I love to film the uh, training for the lax kids and just talk through it as a coach of what I'm looking for and how to apply it on the practice field without the weight room, but still get the benefits. Uh, so that is just my last name at McQuilkin, M-C-Q-U-I-L-K-I-N. And yeah, aim, aim to coach and empower performance on any scale, whether it's garage gym or we got a big goal of, of going to the next level on the field or the court. It's awesome. Thank you, Tex. I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you. All right. We will talk soon. Bye-bye. Or as you guys say, bye.